So when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. And you know, Uzzah, remember, and Ahio, they are the sons of Abinadab. This ark had been in their dads and their their house for 20 years. So I think after a while, they got kind of used to the ark being there, right? They became very familiar with it. They became so familiar with it that Uzzah had no problem. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. As they moved the ark on their new cart, the sons of Abinadad guided the production. The meaning of the names of these sons of Abinadad paint a meaningful picture. Uzzah means strength, and Ahio means friendly. In our lesson today, we learn that Uzzah made a deadly mistake. Much service for the Lord is like this. A new cart, a big production, with strength leading and friendly out front. Yet this is all done without inquiring of God or looking to His will. Surely David prayed for God's blessing on this big production, but he didn't inquire of God regarding the production itself. This was a good thing done the wrong way. Now let's join Pastor Rob. That's, that's worship. You know what he was doing? He was saying, all the things that you've promised me, God, are at this moment, and I'm willing to just let it all go if that's really your heart. And the, fa- the thing that blows me away is that he knew the voice of God that well. You and I sometimes I think, well, I think I heard the voice of the Lord, right? But no, he knew the voice of God. He had had that relationship with God, and he knew the voice of God. And I pray that myself and for all of us that we know the voice of God and that we know it's not just something in our own thoughts that we're thinking. No, but to really know the voice of God and then to act on the voice of God and then for it to be what God wanted it to be. And he blesses us. And he blessed Abraham for that act of obedience, which was complete, uh, a bizarre thing, because Abraham knew that that's the reason that he was gonna, that God was going to curse the Canaanites, because they did this kind of stuff. They did the, the human sacrifice. This was all pagan. So was that an act of worship? You better believe it was. He put everything on the line. He was going to take out his own son, and then he said, Lord, if I do this, I know you're going to have to do something. And, and when he interrupted, when God interrupted Abraham, Abraham realized that this was a picture. This was a type of something that was going to happen in the future. And we know that another father would do the same thing to his son on that same place, except this time he would follow through with it. Because Jesus was the only one who could die for our sin. 
So Abraham was, was like going through an act. I mean, it was a really serious thing to him, but God knew what he was going to do, and he knew what that event would foreshadow. That was a huge act of worship. What about in Mark chapter 12? You don't have to go there, but I'd write it down. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Remember the widow, as Jesus is in, the, in Solomon's temple, and he sees all the wealthy fat cats coming by with all their wads of hundreds, and they just throw them in the thing, and they make sure that everybody sees them, right? Everybody look at me. Now everybody's looking. Now I can put my big wad with the rubber band around it, and I got the bennies, you know, on the outside. Everything underneath is ones, but I got the benny out in front, and I hold that up there. Check this out, and then I put it in the thing. And then the Lord sees this elderly woman who just had equivalent to a couple of cents. She had a couple, you know, two mites, very insignificant copper coins, and that's all she had. So she puts them in, and what did Jesus tell his disciples? He nudged them and said, hey, see what she did? He said, they put in, of all their abundance, they got plenty more in the bank. That was, that was a drop in the bucket for them. But notice what she put in. That was all her living. Was that worship? Was that sacrifice? Yes, it was. And the Lord had respect to the woman and her worship. It's all relative, isn't it? Sometimes when I worship in song, you know, sometimes it can be a sacrifice of praise because my heart is not in it. Maybe I've come from the workplace, and I remember when I worked at Xerox, coming here and then leading worship, and my mind is overflowed with so many things, and I'm distracted, and I'm like, I've some, some days I felt like I was just going through the motions. I was just singing the songs and playing the chords, and I'm like, Lord, I have no idea what's happening here, if anybody's going to... And it's funny that the times where I was clueless the people were worshiping. And I realized it has nothing to do with me. I mean, it's good that if I worship the Lord, I'm genuine in it. But even in my absent-mindedness, God blessed my sacrifice of praise because it was never about me to begin with. But he used me, even though I was not completely engaged. Maybe by the last song, I started to warm up (laughs) in my heart. What about David? Let me read something to you. I would just write this down, and then we'll move on here. But this is a significant portion of Scripture. It's in, in this book, in 2 Samuel chapter 24. There's something really interesting that happened that I just want to read to you just to kind of solidify this idea. You remember at some point in David's ministry toward the end that he took a census, and his, his, his cousin Joab... Warned against it because David's heart was lifted up in pride and, and he wanted to number the people. And so he did. And Joab went out, spent quite a bit of time going throughout Israel, getting the census. And the Lord visited Gad, one of David's seers or prophets, and basically told, and, told Gad to go tell David. He says, I'm going to offer you three things, David, as a result of this sin. Seven years of famine shall come to you in your land or... Shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days plague in your land? And David was just completely heartbroken, realizing what, had, what he had done, was repentant. And he said, just let me fall into the hands of the living God. Lord, whatever you choose. And I love what God chose. He chose the quick thing. Instead of these other, the first and the second option, God chose the thing that would be over quickly. And I think he did that in his mercy because of David's heart. Of, of worship and his heart of compassion, his brokenness. 
He was genuinely broken, even though he had made the mistake. But God needed to deal with David on this. And you recall what happened, that the, an angel of, of, of God came over Jerusalem and all throughout Israel, and many people died as a result of that plague. And then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people, and he said, Surely I have sinned and I have done wicked, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and in my father's house. And so Gad told him to go uh, up to... Um, Gad, uh, excuse me, Gad came to that day to David and said to him, Go erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. Does that ring a bell? Remember the city the, the, of Jerusalem? It used to be called Jabus. He tells him to go take, now that he's king and the, and the things are going along, he says, go and take and build an altar on this site. And it was a man by the name of Aruna. It was his, it was his property. And so David's going to go up to there, this altar, and to stop the plague and, uh, of the people dying, he was going to go up there at God's instruction to build an altar, to make an offering, to stop the plague. And while he's going up there, Aruna's looking around going, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm out here threshing the wheat, and what are you doing? And David says, I, 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 need, I need this land. And Aruna, because his heart was so good, he's like, you know what, David? You just take whatever you want. You take this wonderful real estate up here on the hill that's really valuable to me. It's all yours. And he meant it. His, his heart was of, of worship. He was going to sacrifice it and give it to David. But I notice what David said in verse 24. Then the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer a burnt offering of offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David, did you, let me read that again. I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. Aruna was going to give it to him free of charge, and any one of us would be tempted to go, great, sign the deed over right now and get it notarized, because now it's going to be mine, right? And David said, no, I can't do it. He said, if it costs me nothing, I can't do it. And he offered him the, the right price. He offered him the going rate, if you will, for that land. And that land right now is the Temple Mount. That's what that real estate is that David purchased. Was it an act of worship? Was it a sacrifice? You better believe it. It's a lot of money that David paid for that. But he says, I can't do this and not have it cost me something. So at the heart of worship... And I bring that up because the, you know, they brought the ark in originally on a, new, on a new cart, on this new fancy thing. And I think of worship today in many churches, and it's just a big rock concert. And again, not to you know, get on anybody about that, but if that's all that it's about, you know, there's, there are churches where they have this huge worship team. There's lights and there's smoke. There's even people walking around with cameras. I've seen some of that. And the pastor gets up and he, he reads a psalm or he does a 15-minute sermonette and then, let's just worship some more. And there's nothing wrong with worship, is there? But, you know, when, 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 it, when it gets out of balance and the Word of God is shunned and it's just all music and the lights and the smoke and the, the glitz and all that stuff, we've got to be really careful. But this cost him something. And real worship costs us. If it's real... There's a song by Michael W. Smith. I'm drawing a blank on the name of it. 
But one of the lines in it, he says, don't let me forget, um, don't let me forsake sacrifice. Jesus, you be lifted high. I think it's called Be Lifted High. And I remember hearing that one day, and it just broke my heart. Because so often my worship personally wasn't like that. And then I thought, how often is my worship really sacrifice? And that was pretty convicting. And of course, it's nothing compared to the greatest sacrifice. Jesus on the cross, the God in human flesh, God incarnate, the word of God become flesh. That was the greatest act of Worship, the greatest act of sacrifice that could ever occur in the world, in the history of the universe, the greatest act of worship was a bloody mess on that cross that every one of us in this room would look at it and go, I can't look upon it. I don't want to be anywhere near it. And yet God says, I accept that. I accept that with all of my heart. I've planned it out in advance. I knew exactly what would happen. I even told the prophets, foretold of his sacrifice for hundreds of years, a few thousand years before it would actually come to pass. The greatest sacrifice, the greatest worship service stood, took place between two thieves. So, verse 4, back in our text, it says, And they brought it out to the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before it, before the ark. And then David and all the house of Israel, notice they played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, on of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, cymbals. And just think of the importance of worship. Worship is, you know, music is such an important part of our worship. That's why we spend 20, 25 minutes to a half hour. That's why it has a big part of our time. A third of our time here we're spending in worship. And David says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The very last verse of the very last psalm, that's what the word was. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Such an important thing to worship him in song. Get in the habit of worshiping him. Turn on your, your CDs when you're in your car. I love being in the car and singing my guts out. <laughs> Have you ever done that? You know, just you get in your car and there's no place on earth and you can do that and get away with it except for in your car. And especially if you take a trip out on 104 or 404 and you get way out there or just take uh, Browncroft and just keep going all the way out to 315 land and you just scroll through the hills and you're just going up and down and the sun's shining and you just got the windows rolled up, you got your favorite worship CD and you're just singing your heart out. I love those times. Those are my favorite times. Until you come up to a light and then somebody pulls up next to you and you're like... And then you look over and they're like... You know, they give you that look. So do it someplace where you can be not noticed. But even so, praise the Lord, right? Especially if they can hear, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, because you, know, you can hear music through cars now. You can hear everything. So praise the Lord. But worship, so important. And we know that it's more than just the singing of songs, isn't it? Worship is such a huge topic. It's more than just the singing of songs. It's the giving Yes, even in our giving of our finances when we tithe here at the church, that ought to be a sacrifice. That ought to be worship. 
That's why we, would, we used to do it, and it would be nice to get back to that perhaps, I don't know, to have it right in the center of the worship service so that we don't get the misunderstanding that this is just some kind of transaction we do apart from worship. No, we put it right in the center of our worship time. And there was a reason for that. Maybe we'll get back to that. I, I like that idea. So when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. And you know, Uzzah, remember, and Ahio, they are the sons of Abinadab. This ark had been in their dads and their their house for 20 years. So I think after a while, they got kind of used to the ark being there, right? They became very familiar with it. They became so familiar with it that Uzzah had no problem. And, and I can imagine most of us would think, well, we don't want the ark of, of God to fall over and the tablets to roll out. Do you think God was upset or uptight about the box? Couldn't he have instructed David to build another box and overlay it with gold and put the tablets back in? Or even if the tablets were broken, do you think God would have a problem? Do you think he maybe even supernaturally could intervene as the thing went over, he just saw the thing go back up again and they're going, could he have done that? Yeah, he could have. But that was God's problem, wasn't it? It was his problem. But notice Uzzah didn't have a problem reaching up and touching the ark. There's an old phrase that says, familiarity breeds contempt. When you become so familiar with something, you lose the fact of, of the, the preciousness, the specialness of it. It's sort of like you know, uh, even a president maybe having his oldest son being one of his advisors. And the son, now, he's in the Oval Office with his father, and instead of addressing him with all of the chiefs of staff all around him, instead of addressing him, Mr. President, he says, Hey, Dad, familiarity breeds contempt. We become so familiar with things that we forget the role that we have and the role we don't have. We forget that there's still a way to approach things out of respect and out of, out of decency. And maybe that was what Uzzah's problem was. Maybe he had gotten so familiar with the ark being around, he's like, this is no big deal. In fact, maybe it was even a little bit of a show for him because, hey, I was the one who protected God. I was the one who kept that thing from going. God says, there's nobody going to be holding me up. Nobody's going to hold me up. You let the ark fall. It's a box. I'm able to do whatever, whatever I want with that box. So then the anger, verse 7, the anger of the Lord, of Jehovah, notice. that's what the, Whenever you see the L-O-R-D in all caps, that's Jehovah. Jehovah God, God the Father, he was aroused against us, and God struck him there for his error. I like what it says in the NIV. It says that the Lord struck him because of his irreverent act. Irreverent. He showed irreverence, a lack of reverence, a lack of respect for God by touching the ark that was potentially going to fall off the cart. And yet it seemed like a very natural, almost like an involuntary reaction, right? It's like if you see you know, something falling, you want to hold it or, or get out of the way and let it fall, depending on the size of it, right? And notice uh, one commentator said this. He said, a single punishment caused the people to experience a holy reverence for the Lord. 
We saw the same thing in the book of Acts with Ananias and Sapphira. Just as the church was getting birthed, as it was just starting in its infancy, and then someone gives, sells a plot of land, I think it was Barnabas, he sells a, a, a plot of land and gives everything to the Lord. And he doesn't tout it, he doesn't blow trumpets. And yet Ananias and Sapphira saw the attention that he was getting, or maybe envious of him, and decided, we're going to do the same thing, but let's hold back part of the price. So they, they sell a, something, and then they feign to give everything away to the Lord. And everyone's going, oh, they're so pious. They're so wonderful. What worshipers? And God says, no, they're not. They're not. They're lying to everyone, and me. They're lying to me. And the Lord allowed them to be struck dead on the spot. Their sacrifice was a purification of what God was going to do. He was going to say, I'm not going to have this phony worship. And the ends never justify the means, right? It's never good to do a good thing in a wrong way. Rather, a good thing has to be done in the right way or a godly way. It must be done that way. Because God is just as concerned about the journey. He's concerned about the means as much or more so than the end result. If God wants to make, if God told you in advance that he was going to make you wealthy, and you decide to help him out, you decide to do some crooked business on the side so that you'll be wealthy, the ends don't justify the means. God can do anything. He can take a life that is nothing and make it something. He can speak something into existence when previously there was nothing. Is he not God Almighty? Can't he do those things? He can. In Romans 15 it says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. They were written for our understanding, for our encouragement. Also, in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 it says, These things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. These things are written so that we might learn. And that's why God had it written in Exodus. This is the way I ought to be worshipped. This ark cannot come in on a new cart. And God allowed it. Do you see the grace of God? I mean, can you see it? Because he was going to allow it. Because they were all excited. David was twirling and whirling and just completely lost in abandonment. And God says, and he saw the people. And you can imagine the heart of God just blowing up at that moment. And he's like, oh, they're, they're not doing what I told them to do. But you know what? They're genuine. <laughs> they're so genuine. I just can't touch it. Right? But there was a line. And they crossed that line. And notice verse 8. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. He was angry. He was frustrated. He thought he was doing the right thing. He knew that the ark of God belonged in Jerusalem, where the center of worship was to be. He knew that it was the right thing. And not only that, but he was humiliated. This was a watershed moment in the history of the country. Do you realize that? It had never happened where they had the right, the right king on the throne at the right time in the right place. They wanted to do the right thing, but they did it the wrong way. And yet, people are lined up all along the road from Kirjath-Jerim all the way to Jerusalem. They're lined up all along, and they're just praising God every step of the way as this thing is taken by the cart, you know. And they're just singing and dancing, and 
People are thinking to themselves, we're going to remember this day for the rest of our lives. We're going to tell of this event to our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. We will remember this event. This event was a watershed moment for them as a nation. I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.